It's all the same, all in the name cheer. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Cinemantics, the podcast about movies good and bad, mostly bad. I'm your host, Nick Melton, and my co-hosts... Jeff Heatherly and Ryan Hauser. We now present the final installment of our month of Carpen Russell. Carp Russell. Carp Russell. Carpentinber. Okay, we first covered Escape from New York, and you've heard a few films covered since then. Uh, we have reconvened to discuss the second in Carpenter's Escape series. Escape from L.A. From what year was this? 1996. 1996. Okay, you'll remember that our reaction to the first movie was pretty lukewarm. So I'm just going to start off by asking initial thoughts again from you guys for this one, the sequel. Far more enjoyable. Yeah, it was definitely amazing. It was completely absurd, but amazing. If that's it. Well, what do you... What do you want? You want me to dance for you? Yeah. <laughs> dance. Well, actually, since uh, Ryan, unfortunately, may have to leave soon, I thought that we would kind of front-load the episode with everything he had to say about the film and get his thoughts. Well, I mean, we talked about it when we were watching it. It just seemed like they got together one night, all the, you know, Kurt Russell, John Carpenter, and they wrote the film over some drinks, and they must have realized at some point that they were rewriting the same film. But went all out with these wacky special effects, and we saw the CGI shark. <laughs> Man, that was so weird. Like, my theory is that, my current working theory is that they got together one night, and they were like, you know, Escape from New York was actually a pretty wacky concept for a movie. We took it so seriously, though. Why don't we basically remake it and just make it, like, the utter B-movie that it should have been to begin with? And that's what Escape from L.A. is. So you say so you approve. Oh, I loved it. Good. This is, like, now one of, like, my... It's, like, the best movie ever made. No, I won't go that far, but it is Well, totally when you have awesome. Hang Steve Buscemi, and Oh, my Kurt God. Russell. No, that... that uh, <laughs> you don't do it justice just by saying that these things happen. <laughs> this movie is so bizarre. Like, it, just when you think it couldn't get any weirder, it does. And then it's spectacularly more weird. <laughs> yes. I loved it every second. All right? And it was weird, because, you know, we were all so disappointed after New York, and the critics hated this movie, but they're wrong. This movie was awesome. Well, I think it's, it's like true. you said. They, they definitely made a true B version. Of yeah, it's like, it, to, to me, the two movies almost function as companion pieces. You've got the one that takes the concept of the badass in the destroyed post-apocalyptic city and treats the, the topic seriously or as seriously as you can treat that topic. And then you've got this one, which is the other side of the coin, where we're just going to go flat-out wacky with it. And it's clearly the more enjoyable. So, To your show, Nick. Guide the ship. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, Ryan basically mentioned that they were, they wrote the same movie, and in a way, especially the first, like, 20 minutes. First 20 minutes are almost once, a shot-for-shot remake of, 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 of New York. Of New yeah. York. Mm-hmm. Once he gets into L.A., it sort of becomes its own thing. But, like, it's got that opening narration about something horrible happening to the to the world. Instead of the crime rate tripling or whatever, it's a massive earthquake that strikes L.A. And shaves Los Angeles off of California. Because that makes sense. And in the wake of that, the, the guy, the fundamentalist Christian nutjob who predicted the earthquake gets uh, elected president for life. Yeah. And he sort of creates this, like, totalitarian Christian nation where you can't smoke and you can't drink and you can't... 
You can't. You don't. You don't have any. You freedom. can't eat steak. You can't eat steak. Can't you eat have steak. to. Okay. You have to conform to the Bible, basically. And uh, so he he ships off all the undesirables, aka people who are atheists, Muslims. You know, it's sort of weird. Like they had this whole. They could have done so much with the with the social yeah. commentary, mm-hmm. and they didn't, which I simultaneously like and don't like. And it's, but it's also that's another thing that's absurd because let's face it, there's got to be more than just the people that could fit in Los Angeles who have that thought process. Right. Because that would, that would be to suggest that the entire rest of the 50 states of the United States are all psycho-Christians. They are now. Yeah. And I've got to wonder, <laughs> you know, I bet a lot of the, the citizens of the United States just sort of conform out of fear. I don't think they actually right, it's, right. it's like, I imagine half of them are like Stephen Fry and V for Vendetta who have a basement full of, like, sacrilegious paintings and stuff. Like, like uh, Andy Warhol paintings of Cliff Robertson as Queen Elizabeth? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um... <laughs> So I imagine that's that's who most of the people are. But anyway, uh, he ships them all off to L.A., and in the midst of all this, there's another group of... Hang on a second. After they explain that, you get the woman who narrated the first movie narrating all of this, while another wire grid shows how the United States, like an army, is encamped all around this... Basically the same dialogue. Yeah, the same dialogue <laughs> all the, around the wall that separates L.A. from the rest of the world. And, you know... Once you come in, you don't come yeah. out. And then and then you see the city, and it's like, just like the beginning of New York. You were commenting during the movie that this movie makes a remake of New York superfluous. Yeah, we mentioned in the New York episode that like they are considering a remake of Escape from New York, and we were like, we don't want it to be a shot-for-shot remake like Dust Van Zandt's Psycho, but then John Carpenter's like, fuck that, I'll just go ahead and do it for you. I'll just change the city. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, see, that's the uh, another thing, too. I mean, like, unlike a lot of sequels that build on the events of the first, you don't need to have seen New York to see this. No, you don't. No. In fact, I would almost recommend not seeing New York at all. Wow. Like, I I need, I, I feel like that deserves some explanation. I mean, we spent so much time talking about how slow-moving and kind of dull the first movie is. Yeah. So, really, if you watch it and then watch this movie, it taints your enjoyment of this movie because you spend the first 30 minutes complaining about how it's basically just the same movie in a new setting. Exactly. So, if you don't see New York, you don't have to worry about any of that, and you can just enjoy the film on its own merits. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's got its own merits aplenty once he gets into the city. It's true. And then the ending of the movie is very much like the uh, like the first one. So the but the stakes are even higher somehow. Well, it, this movie delivers in every way that the first movie didn't. This is an actual action movie, but it's a it takes it takes the whole idea of an action movie and elevates it to ridiculously absurd levels. So that's my introduction. Anyone right. have anything to add? No, I mean I agree. The CGI it seemed like it was purposely over the top. Am I wrong with that? Like it was purposely bad in some areas. I very green screen. I'll be honest. Sometimes I wonder if John Carpenter is trying to be sort of a Roger Corman type. Because when you consider the movies he's made like in the nineties, there's not just this. It's like you know John Carpenter's Vampires with uh, <laughs> James Woods. It's uh, you know Ghosts uh, of Mars. Ghosts of Mars with Ice Cube. Like. <laughs> He's, they live. Actually, I heard they live. It's supposed to be. They live good. in an '80s picture, and it's apparently a delight and a half, starring Roddy Piper. <laughs> I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble gums, and I'm all out of bubble gum. <laughs> wow, great dialogue, aplenty. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, anything you wanted to? So you you wanted to talk about the CGI? Uh, no, and that's all I had to say. Okay. Really, the CGI. I mean, there's so many. There's a lot of really bad green screen matte shots in this movie. Really bad to the point that like there's a scene which 
Kurt Russell arrives on the island of Los Angeles in his very, very phallic personal submarine. Well, it's sort of like the submarine is almost like they strapped him in a torpedo with some controls in it and shot him. Exactly. But when he's just standing there getting out of the thing, you can tell that the thing he's getting out of isn't there. He's stepping out of a green screen construct. <laughs> it's really... And there's a part where he puts his hand on it. It's like, this shouldn't be happening. <laughs> I love it. It's so great. The cheesiness to me, though, is a, is a benefit for this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is. Um, I mean, it seems very purposeful. So, uh, yeah. There's more to, like, remember... There's more memorable moments in this movie than there are in... There's more memorable moments in the first... 30 minutes. 30 minutes in this movie than there were from in the entirety of Escape from New York. And, like, like a lot of it, though, it, you were talking about how, when we were watching it, that it was basically... Even though it was the same stuff from New York, it was just the it was the same stuff, but they were actually showing it to you this time. Yeah, they're, 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 like in the first movie, it's like follow the orange line. You have the option to be killed and cremated on site. If you choose this option, please report to blah blah blah. In this movie, please follow the orange line. You have the opportunity to be electrocuted on site. If you choose this option, blah. And right as they say it, they pass a row of electric chairs where people are being executed. It's true. When they do stuff like that, the whole movie, they just make it more graphic and more out there. Yeah. Which is awesome. A dude gets beheaded with pruning shears. I wish they'd shown Although that. Although we didn't get shown that. We, we didn't get to see that, no. I would have loved to have seen that, like, through the, the veneer of 90s special effects. I, I could, I'm, I'm glad we didn't. Yeah. I don't think I could handle it. Yeah. You didn't get some blood But it could have been, like, spurted. ridiculously The beauty cheesy. part of this movie, I gotta say, is this is an R-rated movie, and it is ridiculous. There's language, there's, there's gunplay... But it is not like it's not gory. It's just ridiculous. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I guess this movie couldn't have been anything but R. But like watching it, you don't think, oh, this is an R-rated movie. It's just a wacky. I think it's movie. an R for fucked up. Like I don't <laughs> I think, think a PG thirteen audience could get could under could fully appreciate this movie. Yeah. It ha- you have to be in an R-rated setting to understand that this is fucked up for the sake of fucked up. Hmm. Maybe. Do you want to go over cast? Because there are some incredible people in this movie. All right, let's do this. Boom. Uh, of course, we have returning Kurt Russell as Snake Plissken. Okay, um, before we even go on that, what did you think of Snake in this movie? Because we spent so much time talking about how one-dimensional he was in the last one. In this one, he's actually a badass. Like, by the, by the modern standard. Yeah. He actually does things instead of... Like, let's, I mean, let's face it. In the first one, how many even fisticuffs does he get into? Like, maybe twice? Like... He, he, but for the most of the first movie, he's just walking around with a gun in his hand and not doing much. This yeah. movie, he actually like shoots stuff. He fires a machine gun from a hang glider. He, he commandeers motorcycles. He, he surfs on a tsunami in a, in a, in a freaking you know cavern that was created by the earthquake. Like, just it's, redu- it's ridiculous. And I don't ever use that term. Yeah. Why is it so quiet in here? <laughs> Go. I know I agree, but I think there's also more character development too. Even though it's, I think it's more subtle. Um, I mean, in the first movie, you saw that he was, there was an angst clearly against the government. You know, he'd been a war hero, but he clearly turned. In this one, I think they developed that a lot more. He was a lot more open about it. You know, he tried shooting them several times in the beginning, which is kind of funny. So I think there's a little bit more character development. To, to... And they also show him about to carry out some of his mission, but he can't do it because that right. would involve shooting someone who he basically considers an innocent bystander. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, you can, it, it's the whole, he's a badass with a secret heart of gold thing. Right, exactly. Which, you know, everybody, which they do to death in every action movie, but Kurt Russell is just so awesome. It's true. You know, like, Kurt Russell just, as an actor and as a person, exudes this sort of charisma, 
and whether or not that was written into the part, it just helps the character. Mm-hmm. So, second build, we have a fellow who's just won a lot of awards for Boardwalk Empire, Mr. Steve Buscemi, as Matt to the Stars Eddie. That's really the full name of the character? Yes. Didn't you hear him say it? He said it was Yeah, but... Yeah, well, I would have just put him in as Eddie. But anyway, that's not important. He came into the movie and we were like, oh, it's Steve Buscemi, and we expected him to go away after like that one scene, but he came back. Because it really seemed like they were kind of using up all their big-name guest stars quickly, just be like, hey, this guy's in this movie for a second. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah, Peter Fonda was kind of that character. (laughs) Oh, he was in a couple of scenes. He was just there. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. But Steve Buscemi, he is, he was, Steve Buscemi and Peter Fonda, who we just mentioned, who plays Pipeline, a local stoner and surfer, um, <laughs> they are part of one of the best moments in this movie. We do, and we already mentioned the tsunami surfing scene through some, you know, ditch created by the, the earthquake, but they're surfing next to a road where Steve Buscemi's driving this very fancy car and turns and does one of the best, like, Startled double takes you've ever seen in film. <laughs> well, that's because what other kind of double take would there be when if you tra- happen to be driving a car down the road and a giant wave comes past you? And but it's Steve Buscemi. <laughs> what well, it's made that much better that Kurt Russell actually overtakes him while surfing. Yeah, yeah. he, he, <laughs> hops, on he hops on the back of the car from the top of the wave it's on like the surfboard. The greatest chase scene ever. <laughs> I know it's ridiculous. Oh. It doesn't even start as a chase scene. It's just sort of a scene that becomes a chase right, scene. Right, exactly. Uh, fourth build, we have Uncle Ben himself, Mr. Cliff Robertson. That's where I've seen him from. As the president, who actually doesn't have a name. Oh, yeah, he's just the president. The president. Um, I, I, I spent the whole movie trying to figure out why he looks so familiar, and that is why. He's yes. Uncle Ben. Yes. Excellent. Um, up next, we have the woman that we didn't know who she was, but we know her name now. Valeria Golino as Taslima. 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 I've seen her in other things. Oh, Big Top Peewee. Hot Shots. She was the love interest in Hot Shots. That's where I know her so from. So a quintessential, like, 80s woman. Yeah, yeah, really. And Rain Man. How about that? Um, hmm. but she plays Taz, Taz Lima, this... This woman who you think is going to be the love interest, but then gets shot and dies. Oh, but it's such an amazing, like, startle moment. Like, you do, really, that, that's a great thing about this movie, is there are a lot of good moments that you don't see coming. You know, she kind like of reminds her. me of uh, the character in the first movie, though, that he meets in the, uh, in the shop. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Oh, I mean, yeah. I think it's very similar character. She's style. a combination of that and Adrian Barbeau's character. Yep. Yeah. They combine them into one one. I feel like you you said, oh, she's this movie's Adrian Barbeau. Yeah. And then she dies. Yeah, yeah I was expecting Well, Adrian Barbeau longer. dies too, but... It's true. So, <laughs> Although I will say, Adrian Barbeau's death is far more just jaw-dropping. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I mean... Car plows into her against another car. <laughs> Driven by Isaac Hayes. Yes. So. Um, up next, we have Stacy Keach, the legendary Mr. Stacy Keach as Commander Malloy. Every time you say Stacy Keach, I think of a woman, and I always thought of Michelle Forbes, because that was the woman of the duo. Well, we do have Michelle Forbes as Brazen, his right-hand lady. Michelle Forbes, who most people know for being, like, the most beloved sci-fi lady ever lately. Because she was on True Blood as Marianne Forster. She was on Battlestar Galactica as, uh, uh, not Cassandra Kane, that's Batwoman. Um, <laughs> Batwoman. Or no, pardon me, Batgirl. It's Batgirl before Stephanie Brown. I'm going to stop being a nerd. Anyway, she's Admiral Kane on Battlestar Galactica. Oh, she's that's on, right. But she's, she's been on a lot of sci-fi shows lately. Like, she's a sci-fi lady. And has aged awesome. very well. But we'll move back to the list where we have Pam Greer playing a transsexual named Hershey Las Palmas. What an odd moment that was, because Pam Greer doesn't come into the movie until, like, an hour and a half into it, and 
It's like, oh, that's got to be Pam Greer because they've used up all their other guest stars. It's true. And the first thing you notice is that Pam Greer has the most ridiculous hair out of any like movie she character. Had, she in has a history. George Clinton weave. Yeah, basically, <laughs> uh, she is George Clinton. And then, then you hear her voice, which it has been digitally toned down about five octaves. It's very odd sounding and uh, creepy and off putting. But it's kind of awesome seeing Pam Greer firing machine gun from a hang glider. It's all, well, it's awesome seeing all these people fire hand, uh, uh, machine guns from a hang glider. I cannot overstress how ridiculous this movie is, yeah. listeners. <laughs> it is so bizarre. Like, but anyway. five people on hang gliders just swirling around this pit and shoot machine guns at all manner of ruffians. Yes. Uh, um, up next, we have one of our favorites, legendary Mr. Bruce Campbell, as the Surgeon General of Beverly Hills. What? Odd scene. In a scene like, of peril that lasts literally maybe a minute. Uh, yeah, really. About a minute and a half. Like, the, the context of this scene is that uh, Snake is roaming about L.A., and uh, he, he sees the... He goes into Beverly Hills, and then it's like this dark war zone, and... Uh, he sees this guy basically in Jedi robes. They're, like, all in Jedi robes yeah. for no reason. And he gets captured by them. And it turns out that they're all, like, plastic surgeon junkies who have had too many facelifts and had too many implants. Social commentary! Yeah. And uh, Bruce Campbell's, like, the one in charge of them. And he's got a fucked up face, too. He's got a fucked up face, too. And he's going to extract uh, Snake's working eye, but doesn't. Because he's got a mouth dart. He's hit some of the mouth dart, and then just by luck, Bruce Campbell's arm falls at just the right angle to slice the bindings with his, you know, scalpel or whatever. Yeah. It's 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 just so convenient. Um, it is. Uh, are we moving on to the next one? Moving on. Yeah. Don't have anything to say? Not really. You've nice covered it with Bruce, Bruce Campbell. Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. Up next, we have the villain of our piece, Cuervo Jones. Oh my god, played, that's such a stupid name. Played by George Coraface. Which is also a stupid name. Yeah. <laughs> Like, let's take the actor with a stupid name and give him I'm a character sure with an even I'm worse I'm sure name. it's George Coraface or something. But... Okay, well, I like Coraface. Coraface. <laughs> Cuervo Jones is like the Che Guevara of L.A. in this movie, because he looks just like him. It's true. And he's the guy who's going to theoretically, like, use the doomsday device that Snake is retrieving from L.A. to shut down the world if his demands aren't met or whatever. But the thing is... The actor who plays him is like the least menacing villain ever. Yeah. Isaac Hayes has more menace. He might, as well, might, he might as well have been George Lopez. Yeah, basically. <laughs> George Lopez as Che Guevara yeah. in a post-apocalyptic action comedy. Would you say this is a comedy? I can't even say that. I just think it's... Like, I don't mean comedy in the traditional sense of the word, but it's so over the top that it elicited, like, laughter from us. Uh, I don't know. Sort of like a... Uh, no, I, I know where you're coming from. I mean, the best scene was the basketball scene. I mean, that was oh just... My oh, my God. We need to talk about that scene. <laughs> we, we, we come into this big arena. It's the L.A. Memorial St- uh, Coliseum, which has, you know, been torn down and destroyed after all these years of apocalypse. And we, we come into this, and we see all these people fighting in, like, a battle royale. And like, oh, we're going to up the stakes after last uh, the last movie's uh, boxing ring. We're going to have a battle royale in a cage. No, wait! He's going to play basketball today. <laughs> Yeah, and the way that they do it is you have to earn 10 points, but you have to use both hoops, like, you have to go from one hoop to the other at opposite ends of the court, but you only have 10 seconds to get to each end of the court. And it's like, I think in real life it's a bit too massive of a court, because it takes him forever. I mean, it was a regulation court. Really? Yeah. It looked a bit too big, like, they made it too big so that the 10 seconds that he took to run back and forth would... Well, that's not the point. The point is, the shots get progressively more ridiculous. And it's filmed entirely in slow-mo. It starts with a layup, that's simple. 
And then it gets a little closer on the next one. Okay. And then it gets a little, a little bit further away on the next one. And then it's a half-court shot for the, for the next one. And then a full-court shot just heaves it for the, for the ten points. And somehow makes it. It somehow, somehow makes, makes it. it. Yeah. Well, Snake is a badass. He is a basketball genius. He's just a badass at everything, apparently. Murder. <laughs> um, Good for you, Snake Plissken. Yeah. <laughs> uh, up next, because we already talked about the wonderful Michelle Forbes, we have A.J. Langer as Utopia, the daughter of the president. And That's kind of, a stupid name. And in many ways, kind of the secondary villain of this piece. Kind of. She strikes me as pretty brain dead, though. She, she's just a skank. She's sort of the ditzy blonde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. AJ Langer, who some people might know is playing the best friend Rayanne on the classic '90s series My So Called Life. I never watched it. Well, that's where I know her from. Okay, and it was ridiculous watching her do the things she does in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it would have been ridiculous anyway. Because in this movie, she truly comes off as like. Hey, we couldn't get Alyssa Milano. Let's take the chickens <laughs> on my so-called life. <laughs> like that's that, that's really what it what it feels like here. Um, and then after that, we have Ina Romeo as Hooker. I imagine, <laughs> that's I imagine that's the only Hooker with any lines in the movie. Yeah, we have Peter Jason as duty sergeant. Okay. Jordan Baker as police anchor. Okay. And Caroline Feeney as woman on freeway. I don't know who that is. So <laughs> thank you for thank you Wikipedia for crediting Caroline Feeney. As woman on the freeway. Yes, that's that's some wonderful trivia. Yeah. All right. So where to go from here? We did plot. We did cast. I mean, do you want to talk about the ridiculous escalating set pieces? Yes. That's all this movie is is ridiculous it is escalating kind of set pieces. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the first set piece is the submarine ride. Yeah. Which we have to talk about. Yes. Because it's one of the only scenes in the movie that is entirely CGI. Yeah. Because, you know, he's underwater and they clearly didn't have the budget to get a real submarine or any, like, or a tank to put Or this... models of what Hollywood would look like if it were underwater. Exactly. Yeah. So he, it, the, the, the bit where they launched the submarine out of the tube is actually pretty effective. I thought that it looked fine, that bit. Yeah. Once it gets in the water, see, it shoots out of the tube into the air and then there's a splash as it goes in the water and it's the worst looking splash you've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, it is. And then he goes through the water that looks like water, the underwater view you'd see in a really bad computer game. Yeah. Like a dated computer game. And he's driving around through L.A. landmarks, and he gets to Universal Studios, and the first time we saw this, you you were probably making fun of something. Yeah. And the shark, apparently from the ride in from Jaws, the Jaws, from the Jaws, from the Jaws, Jaws ride, floor. jumps up and attacks the submarine. I thought it was just a regular shark. No, no, it's, it's the Jaws from the ride. I was really hoping it was a normal shark, because I don't think that that ride would still be working after, like, 13 years of Nick, being Nick, are you asking for logic from Escape from fucking LA? <laughs> no, I'm asking for it to be even more ridiculous than it already is. Well, then it would be the ride. The, then it would be the ride, because it, you asked, why would it be working? It wouldn't be. That's why it's ridiculous. <laughs> right, but it's a shark wouldn't attack a submarine. <laughs> And, well, the shark misses, of course. Yeah, yeah. it's just like, huh, I remember when that thing was a thing in the place for the thing and the I guy? always thought that ride was down in Florida, so I was wrong. Well, they have them at both studios. Oh. It's part of the tram. Boom. Not, I mean, I haven't been, but it's kind of common knowledge. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, there's that whole sequence. Yes. And after that, he wanders around L.A. for a while. There's that scene with the surgeon... With Bruce so Campbell, yes. And exactly. there's the scene where he hijacks the motorcycle trying to get to... Which, I mean, just... I mean, that, Cuervo Jones. That's not that ridiculous, because it, that's just... What made that scene interesting is that it was just so damn novel to see him actually doing something active. 
Yeah, it was pretty badass. Because the first <laughs> movie, he like we kept saying, he just walked around with a gun and only got to like two cases of fisticuffs and very little shooting. The only ridiculous thing in that sequence was the uh, random Mexican on a horse. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, horrible Mexican stereotype, sombrero and all. With a was it was there a poncho? There may have been a poncho. Uh, there was a sombrero, oh, yeah, yeah. sombrero, maybe a poncho on a, on horse. a horse, following the Che Guevara guy, Cuervo Jones, whose name I will just continue to say because it's because so let's awesome. face it, Kurt Russell, Deborah Hill, and John Carpenter came up with that name while they were drinking. They were like Jose Cuervo. I got an idea. Cuervo Jones. <laughs> like, I, I got the I got the sense that like they got incredibly drunk and possibly high. Banged out that script, laughing their asses off, and then while they were still high and drunk, said, "Hey, let's make it!" And then they made all the arrangements right there on the spot and just <laughs> continued to drink and smoke throughout the rest of the production of the movie. Yes, and then they released it, and that explains Escape from L.A. And yet, I lo- I, I liked it. Oh man, I loved every second yeah, of this yeah. movie. So it was so great. I felt bad for showing you guys. A movie that both of you didn't really love that much. Like, it's weird because I feel like this movie actually... I feel like this movie actually does something with the post-apocalyptic, like, everyone's fucked kind of attitude that the first one didn't. Like, the way it ends, the suggestion of the ending is just... It's it's not bleak, but it's very interesting. It's like, it's world-shattering. Yeah. Versus the first one, which is just, I'm Snake and I'm gonna walk away while that guy listens to American Bandstand. Right. Like, it's that's the big difference here. It, like, no, no, nothing really changes in the first one. This changes everything. Yeah. It's true that the stakes at the end... Like, I'd love to see, like, a third one, even though it's been forever since this one. Well, let's face it. It was, you know, 15 years between the first and second. Right. I mean, it's... I would love to see a third one where it's him wandering a world with no technology whatsoever. When yeah. you take all of that stuff, like planes and guns and bombs and gadgets He and just shit, becomes a classic style gunslinger. Out of the... Yeah, I'd love to see... Which like, I think this movie was trying, trying to set up. I would love to see a post-apocalyptic western starring Snake Plissken. Why else did they keep playing, like, western themes the further it got along? Like, especially the last shot. He's, he was wearing a leather duster, for God's sake. And, like, <laughs> there's true. that, like... And he had an eye patch. And there's that, that... a cowboy hat, There's that Ennio Morricone-style song that sounded a lot like Final Countdown playing. Yeah. And he walks off into the, not sunset, but where, but the, our face. With well, he looks like Smoking right an American camera. spirit of all cigarettes and, and just staring at us and saying, welcome to the human race. Boom credits. <laughs> yeah, seriously, post-apocalyptic western, I would watch that. Well, you get a good contrast, old, too, between that With thought. old, haggard, like, old, haggard snake. That could be, like, seeing Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven. It's like Metal Gear Solid 4. I've never played those I games. haven't, but I know that Solid Snake is really fucking old in that one. That's awesome. It's like Dark Knight Returns, where yeah. Bruce Wayne comes out of retirement. Brr. You know, I'll be honest with you, Nick. We're going to be doing some drinking later. Let's write this script. <laughs> yes, let's. <laughs> it worked for them. Come on. <laughs> I would seriously do it. Let's yeah. do it. Okay. What do you think? No, I agree. I thought it was nice that you guys could see a better, better contrast. You got to see more of the uh, post-apocalyptic world, you know, L.A. Uh, I mean, we saw, like, guys standing around throwing knives, almost like darts at this guy. I guess is one oh, of yeah, the yeah. He's stuck killed. in the wall by knives. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, they make, they make no bones about it that it's an unpleasant place to be. Exactly. But I unlike, think you saw less, less of that. In but the, the thing that was there. interesting is that unlike an Escape from New York, they actually sort of established that there was a social order here. Yeah. Like right, in, in exactly. Escape from New York, there was a bunch of crazy people who wandered the streets, and it was basically just an anarchist, 
lunatic place to be. But in, in L.A., there's clearly a hierarchy of who's in charge. You know, like, in, yeah, there's the Duke of New York, but whatever. Well, you, you get the feeling watching that that he's basically the self-appointed Duke. Well, there's also this. Consider this. I mean, we, we always like to hear or to think that, you know, New York City, as you put it, with its five boroughs is like this massive, massive place. But Los Angeles, with its many little suburbs and places like that, is actually much bigger. And when you look at a map, much bigger. We're talking because we're not just talking Los Angeles. We're talking Beverly Hills. We're talking like Burbank. We're, we're we're talking Hollywood itself. There's a lot of there's a lot of it's a big playground here. Yeah. So there's a lot more stuff to satirize and give us more interesting images of. Like I mean, because we have the division. We have I mean, as stupid and pointless as the scene is with Bruce Campbell, even though we love Bruce Campbell, but it's barely him, so it doesn't even count. But you know, that goes by in a second, but at least it indicates to us that even though Cuervo Jones <laughs> is the, the top dog, like, there is this little segment where plastic surgery addicts rule the land. Right. I mean, they even call him the Surgeon General of L.A. Exactly. I mean, He's a man of power. Clearly, the, yeah, the, the head honcho for that group. Exactly. Like, they sort of suggest that by there's this shot where you see the Hollywood sign and it's on fire, but the sign is backwards to well, suggest that the world is... looking at it from behind. Right, but... That's where it's shot from, but it's, it suggests a world that is backwards. Yes. Because we always only see the Hollywood sign when you can read it, obviously. Right. Great symbolism. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I said, this movie has its little bits and pieces, and that it doesn't do more with it is simultaneously a relief and surprising. Yes. Because you think that once it establishes these little nuggets of commentary that it's going to go further with them than it actually Well, but does. I think the point is to make fun. Why also... Throwing out a little bit of that commentary. Right. Yeah. It's, its job is to be an action movie. Right. So you want to talk about the reception this movie got? Well, we haven't really talked about some of the other ridiculous set pieces. This is true. I mean, we talked about we talked about the, the chase on the wave, which is ridiculous. Yes. And, and awesome. And it actually didn't look quite as terrible as I thought it might. No, like, no. Like, there's, there are a few shots where he's on the surfboard, and you can tell that the wave is just on a green screen behind him. Like, he, there's enough time for him to, like, give... Peter Fonda, high five. Ugh. Which, God. <laughs> he would never do that. I mean, it's, I mean, although it's no more ridiculous than, like, Kurt Russell and Steve Buscemi carrying on a conversation thousands of feet in the air on hang gliders. Oh, my God. The well, hang just, gliders. And just casual talk. When they took off okay, the deck we, of a we ship. Need, we need to explain <laughs> the friggin' hang gliders because... We've mentioned it like six times and not explained the context of that scene. Okay. It's after they've gone to see Jam Group. Just like in the first movie. Yeah. He's been injected with something. In the first movie, it's explosives. In this movie, it's a virus. It'll last nine hours, and it'll kill him as soon as yeah, it's over. Yeah, nine and a half hours. Once his clock runs down, he's he's dead. So he looks at his clock, and he's like, oh, shit, I've got an hour to get the bomb and out of L.A. How am I going to get to Cuervo Jones? Cuervo Jones. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to Pam Greer, and he's like, you've got an hour to get me to Cuervo Jones. And Pam Greer's like, I'll help you. And so... <laughs> it's like, well, how are we going to get there? The traffic is too... The traffic... The, the shortest street is two hours away. And then, like, silent Asian henchman is like, we go by air or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, cut to... They are jumping off of the building in hang gliders. And they're flying around in the street, like, on the hang gliders. And all of a sudden, they're up, like, a mile in the air, which is impossible to do with no. hang gliders. And then they're carrying on conversations in their normal strident tones. <laughs> well, just Snake and Steve Buscemi. Then, then, then they arrive at the big arena where Cuervo <laughs> Jones is. Somehow, during the course of the movie, Cuervo Jones has, like, basically threatened the U.S. government. And 
send me a helicopter and get me out of LA or else I shut down the world with this awesome doomsday bomb. And there's a, a vague subplot about how like other countries have been like teaming up to take down the US. Like wasn't there like Somalia and Brazil or something like that? Like, yes, it, because it was... those countries could le- could legitimately pose a threat. Exactly. It was... Mexico and Cuba, come on. I don't know. I imagine with with this psycho Christian president in power, we would have pumped so much money into the military budget that we could just blow those shits this out of the true. water. This is true. This is true. I don't imagine that they would actually pose a threat. But anyway, they go to the big arena, and then ensues the awesome, they're flying around on hang gliders with machine guns. Just circling. Which was just, amazing. They're just mowing people down. There's like a hundred people awesome? shooting at these guys in yeah, the you air. Think, you apparently... think that the hang gliders would at least get a couple of bullets through the... Through the Cloth of the hang glider? No. No, not a scratch. Not a scratch. They just fly around. Just keep circling and shooting. Yeah. Kurt and Russell so, happens to land a ride on uh, um, Cuervo, Cuervo Jones. Jones. <laughs> and, and then they fight. It is this typical fight. And a kick is synchronized with an explosion. Yes. <laughs> and then the, they commandeer the helicopter and fly away. But oh no, someone's tied a lasso around the end of the helicopter. So can they take off? So then Pam Breer shoots the rope with a gun. It's awesome. <laughs> and then they fly away. But oh no, Cuervo Jones has a rocket launcher. <laughs> and Steve Buscemi's all like, I can save the day this time. He shoots him, but it doesn't work, so he shoots the rocket launcher into the helicopter that explodes the back of the helicopter. But only the back seat. only the back seat, so that they can fly away. A CGI explosion takes down Pam Greer and her two, like, hench trainees. Those are like ten guys in there, weren't they? It's like crammed in the helicopter, but Snake and Utopia, the stupidest name ever, even worse than Cuervo Jones. (laughs) I don't know about that. Well, see, Cuervo Jones is such a bad name because... It's two names. You know what it is, and they're and one of them is a funny beer name, and the other one is just Jones. No, you like, no, you know what happened? They what? were drinking. They were drinking Jose Cuervo, and they were drinking Fruitopia because this was back when that was still popular. <laughs> they were like Cuervo Jones and oh, let's fuck the fra. It's just Utopia. <laughs> Boom! Let's make a movie. Uh, God, and her, they must have been eating Hershey's. <laughs> That's true. Yes, Hershey, just a bunch of Hershey kisses. Hershey stuff, because they had to have been stoned, too, so they'd have the munchies. And then a tranny walked in, and they were like, wait, I got another idea. <laughs> oh, Hershey. Awesome product placement. Mm, yes. <laughs> but not spelled the same way. It's just Hershey without the Y. No, it's uh, Hershey. Hershey. Oh, gotcha. That's stupid. H-E-R-S-H-E. Hershey. It used, just, to be a, just, it used to be a man. We should point that out. It used to be a man. So that, Who that's apparently what, used to work with Snake and his old... Military I guess days. I guess if they call oh see I think I know what happened they initially com- they came up with the character as he she and thought that was too offensive so they just added in an R to make it sound Her like she. a pop but also because she's product. a chocolate goddess that's <laughs> true yeah she is chocolate god s Pam Greer right but I was trying to make a play on the Foxy Brown bitch I know who Pam Greer is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Pam Greer, who is... Well, never mind. I was going to say... Well, she's not from my hometown. She's from a town. Winston-Salem. Yes. Oh, yes. You don't have a muffins, Nick. I don't have a muffins. You need to get a muffins. Anyway, she's from a town in which I reside. Yes. Um, Now people can look that up, even if we bleep it out. Yeah. I just think it's kind of cool that she is from the area. Yeah, And it's Pam Greer, because she's awesome. He, she is awesome. Her, she. Hershey. Hey. Hershey Highway. Bumholes. And then you've got that bit at the end, which I thought was really cool, because once he gets out of L.A., there's this scene that's, like, totally, like, it plays out all of the plot strands that it's been weaving the whole movie with which, him, basically yeah. having a confrontation with the president, which he didn't really do in the first one. He just sort of, like, 
kind of bitched him out and then walked away. This one, he's totally like, no, I've got the real detonator. What are you going to do about it, bitch? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For one, Snake actually takes action against the government. Because he's actually a badass in this movie instead of just an assumed badass. Thank you. Right. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I think in the first movie they were like, oh, he's a rebel who doesn't care, so he must be a badass. You know, he's just going to walk away. Was, I think that was the deal in the first movie. I think we were supposed to assume his badassery based solely on the stories we kept hearing. And solely on... Versus this movie where we actually get to see him doing stuff. It's like... And also solely on his apathy. Because, like, you know, haven't you always, like... People are always, like, attracted to that guy who, like, doesn't seem to care about anything and who's just darkly aloof. You know, that's right. the sort of snake in the first But movie. I'm saying, like, the comparison that I'm, I'm that's popped into my head is when there's a difference between Beavis and Butthead, the TV show, and Beavis and Butthead do America. Which everyone kept saying is, you know all the conversations they have when they're just sitting on their couch and, and calling each other fart knockers? That's what they do in the movie when they go out into the world and wreak havoc. I'm not, so Snake Plissken is Beavis and Butthead. No, <laughs> oh, you made a comparison I didn't like. Why? Oh, God. It's Beavis and Butthead. I do not care for them. Well, once again, I feel we've been leaving you out. Uh, well, I've been agreeing and enjoying the conversation. I'm mm-hmm. a very agreeable person. Right. I- I'm no snake. Right, but, I mean, <laughs> you haven't been on the podcast for years, so I just wanted to make sure we were giving you your due. No, I mean, I, I agree totally. I mean, it goes back to what I was talking about with character development. I think because he is more of a badass, they developed his character a little bit better. Just letting us see what he's doing is different. different yeah, it's right. nice to see some of that angst come out. Yeah, um, see him be an action hero. Instead of just hearing stories about it. Yeah, I think they realized that they had to kind of up the ante for the sequel, because they couldn't just have him keep doing the same shit. And like, the hologram thing at the end, I think, was a good little twist. Yeah, because we knew that it was coming, but it came so late in the movie that we that kind of forgot about, about it. About it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when that did happen, everyone was like, oh, like, I think you figured it out. Yeah, yeah, But you figured out, you figure out things, because yeah. you've seen so much stuff that you can... But what, what makes, what makes this whole discussion of, like, the difference between New York and L.A. being the action sequences so interesting to me is, uh, talking about critical reception, the film received a 58% rating from Rotten Tomatoes based on various critics' reviews. The film was panned for its gratuitous action sequences which were significantly scaled up in the previous film, which many critics felt added little to the film. They added everything to the film! Yeah, I don't know where they were coming from on that. I think they expected it to be another serious, like, dark, gritty, quote-unquote action movie, where you didn't actually have to see any blood or violence, but you could still say, hey, that's a cool action movie right. I saw. This one is actually an action movie, and tosses aside all pretense of seriousness. Well, it was a flop, money-wise, though. They spent $50 million on it, and I think they only made about 48 uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. They spent, they spent 50 and made 42 yeah. world Worldwide. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, it didn't even make back its budget. Yeah. Well, I'm proud to say that I spent $4 on this movie. So you're Sam's helping Club. out the call. Yeah. So I'm helping the call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, at Sam's Club. So and I do not regret spending off. any cents of that on it. Well, that was a weird way of wording that. I don't regret spending $4 on this movie. It, yeah. was, it was so enjoyable and entertaining. That's what it was. It was entertaining. Yeah. Not was. that not that New York wasn't entertaining, but it wasn't like... We were just sort of like glued to the screen, all gleeful and like excited. Whereas New York, we were just sitting back here like, yeah, happening. You know, oh, we just did that. Mm-hmm. New York was just so much slower. And more somber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the reason people... Serious. Yeah. So you know what this just reminded me of? What? There's one more character in this movie. That's Mr. Randy Newman. <laughs> he is not. His song, I Love L.A., plays over all Steve Buscemi's guides. Oh, I totally didn't 
catch that that was the song. Yeah, it's Randy Newman. Randy Newman's in Escape from L.A. Oh, I wish... I made the comment that I wish he was actually in Escape from L.A. Like, couldn't you see, like, Randy Newman play a really dark version He'd of himself? He'd be sitting on like, the side of the roof. Singing about what he sees. Yeah, singing about what he sees. <laughs> oh, man. Red-headed lady reaching for an apple. No, no, i got to yeah. change the lyrics to be about <laughs> Snake Plissken. Oh. I, I catch you, fella. Reaching for an apple. <laughs> gonna shoot a bitch. Oh, uh, nope, 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 nope. He's he going to wait on it first. <laughs> Wipes it on his patch. <laughs> yeah, ouch. Anyway. He shoots it once. Oh, wait. Twice. Twice. Three, Three times. times. Four, Four times. times. <laughs> Stops. So I jacks a cycle. It goes so after Quibble Jones. Five times. <laughs> Stand O'Shea walking over. Walking down the road. Let's stop. <laughs> Let's stop. Uh, our adjustments of those lyrics were weird. Yes. George Coraface. Oh, well, that's then, still probably not how you pronounce I'm it. Sure, I'm but, sure you're right. Yeah, it's Coraface, but, but still, that's, that's just delightful. <laughs> George Coraface. <laughs> So I want to say something, you know, at the end, we're getting close to almost the same length as the first episode, mm-hmm. um, and now I'm wondering, you know, we played your movie game at the end of that one, but the fact of the matter is, I love this cast. Oh, yeah. I so I don't want to change a thing. No, 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 let's not do the game this yeah. time. I didn't th- feel the game went too well last time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan. Kurt Vonnegut, are you kidding Kurt me? <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I knew that game had some potential, it just didn't go too well the first time we did it. Ah. But anyway, yeah. Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis, yeah, that was a brilliant choice. Anyway, uh, I know that you have to go soon. Yes. And if you and if you want to, we can continue the conversation, but I feel like now is a good... No, I think we're, we're, we're ready to go. We're ready to go? Okay, then. Um, let's do final thoughts on Escape from L.A. Right, we'll start with this fellow this time. Yeah. Oh, much better. Uh, like you said, very entertaining. Love the CGI, even though it was completely over the top. And uh, really phony. Oh, yeah, definitely. Maybe they would have made money had they not done all that, but, you know... Well, Still a great movie. You contributed with your four dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this movie, I'll be proud to put it on my shelf. Yeah, it's making its money back four dollars at a time, and yeah. it's Sam's Clubs across America. <laughs> I'll be buying it as soon as I have money. Oh yeah, <laughs> we can go back to Sam's Club. Yes, get you a, a copy of Escape from L.A. I think everybody should do that. Yeah, they should. Your final thoughts? Get the card, show it to that creepy person at the door, because they're always a creepy person. <laughs> and then be like, hey, I'm a member, and this movie kicks ass. I don't want to hear your asinine story about your bicycle. I'm going home. Have, <laughs> have you really been in Sam's Club and they tried to regale you with an asinine story about a bike? They did when we, when we went to yours, don't you remember? Oh, God, no. Oh, well, the... Hmm. Was it one of those things where you were paying attention to what they were saying and I just like... You were just trying to get the hell out of there? Trying to get away from them? I mean, I was doing it too, but I was actually listening. Oh, see. (laughs) That's what was going on. I I just wanted to leave and and get where we were going. But my final thoughts on this movie, yes, it is a... For sheer entertainment value, it is a vast improvement over the original. And I know that that the fact that we love this movie more than the first is going to bother some purists, but it's just damn entertaining. And this movie is so... I'm going to be talking about some of the things I saw for, like, the rest of my life. It is a ridiculous movie. And apart from the beginning, which is such a rehash of the first movie, like, even down to dialogue. Yeah. And shots. Which, again, is Mm -hmm. just due to the fact that if you you haven't seen Escape from New York, none of that will bother you. Right. But, um, apart from that beginning, which... 
part of me kind of appreciated how campy it was that they were just doing the exact same thing. The other part of me was kind of worried that it would make the rest of the movie just terrible. But it wasn't. It was just awesome and a delight. And I loved every second of it. So. So success. So say we all. So say we all. So say yes. Uh, Escape from L.A. Awesome. Concluding the, the the month of Carpenter and Russell. Carp Russell. Carp, yeah. Uh, Carpal Tunnel Russell Syndrome. Yes, I want to give a final shout out to Kurt Russell because he was just awesome. Yes, he was. He continues to be awesome. He continue, yeah, he had that awesome revival in Death Proof. Like, you say this whole thing about, like, could you see him playing Snake? Dude is still vital. Oh, yeah. He could totally pull that off. I would I would pay to see it. We gotta write I this, would. we gotta get drunk and write this script tonight and pitch it to the fella. He's gonna love it. The Gunslinger. Yeah. Yeah. Escape from Peoria. I don't know what the next city. Oh would god, be. what would the next one be? Escape Detroit? from Miami. Escape from Washington D.C. I don't know. Oh, escape from no, not Miami. That's too much like L.A. Escape from Seattle. No, or it could have a completely different. Escape title. from Atlanta. Although I feel like we need to bring up something before we go. Um, the Snake Plissken Chronicles. What? That is a thing. Is that the comic books? That has happened since the yeah comics. There's been. The Adventures of Snake Plissken, which was a one-shot in 97, and... By Marvel Comics, and it tells the story of, uh... The famous Cleveland thing that they mention in L.A. Yeah. And, uh, then there's Snake Plissken Chronicles, which is a four-part comic book miniseries Published released in 2003. Yeah, so, I mean, they, Snake has, uh... They've kept his adventure going in comics, but I'd like to see it continue in film form. Oh, yeah. Yeah, another 16 years in the future, perhaps. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. The only thing is, you know, if we're going on this every fifteen year schedule, it's due this year. Yeah, they got they got a couple months to bang it out. <laughs> I wish they probably could. They just do it all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we'll all green we'll have the script for them tomorrow. <laughs> oh, we will. They can start filming next week. Oh yeah, they can. Oh man, writing a whole screenplay in one night. Oh, we can. Do well, that's it. what they did basically. So yeah, that's what they paid for. <laughs> we don't actually do. That. We don't. We don't. No. <laughs> Anyway, Escape from L.A., final part of our month chronicling the epic collaboration between director John Carpenter and actor Kurt Russell, uh, Escape from L.A., 1996. Um, you've been listening to Cinemantics, the podcast about movies good and bad, mostly bad. I'm Nick Melton. Ryan Hauser. Jeff Heatherly. Good night, everybody. Boom. Welcome to the human race.